Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Surviving Empathy Podcast. I am your host, Brian Russell of Chef Bride Comedy. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk a little bit about the midterms and a little bit about etiology and the differences between those etiologies. And then we're going to talk about, do a mind experiment about where is our species going to go in the long term into the future. And we will use examples from the Orville and Star Trek. But we had a great time on our time off. The first week we went to the coast and we got away for a few days. And then I ended up injuring my neck. Uh, Yeah, I wish I could say it was doing something awesome. But no, I was sleeping. I overstretched it and uh, I slept on it funny. I ended up hurting my neck. I went to the doctor, but I am fine. I am on the mend. Uh, But uh, today we wanted to talk about the midterms and how it relates to the future evolution of uh, our species, frankly, as a culture and society. If you like the work we're doing, we're trying to keep this good for regular folks, good for robust living and good mental health. So if you like what we're doing, come on over to my Patreon at Chef Patreon forward slash Chef Comedy, or just follow my link tree over to any number of our platforms, including YouTube, including Spotify and all those music platforms. But also uh, we have tip jars there if you want to help us out. But this will be a two-part episode. The first part is more about setting everything up. And uh, the second episode will go into some details about where we think we're going as a society into the deep future. I'm talking 10,000 years from now. Will we even evolve that far? It's hard to say. But thank you guys so very much for your friendship and support. And let's begin. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Surviving Empathy Podcast. I am your host, Brian Russell of Chef Bright Comedy, and I want to welcome my co-host. She's the host with the most, Rebecca Russell. Please say hello. Hello. So, you guys, welcome back. Welcome. Uh, yeah, we had a nice little vacation, a little couple weeks of uh, relaxation. The first week we spent out on the coast for a few days, and then the second week I spent basically healing my injured neck. <laughs> yeah. Because I slept on it wrong or something. I've been doing a lot of deep stretches, and I think I just pulled this one muscle where it's just, it's just thin sinew now. <laughs> That's all that's left. I'm like Batman without the hero stuff. I'm just broken down, no cartilage. (laughs) We could buy you a cape, then you could. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I deserve that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, you guys, welcome back. So, today's episode, um, you know, we wanted to talk about etiology. Uh, Today's topic is going to be about Star Trek versus the Orville versus Star Wars, comparing etiological differences in our politics, what happened during the midterms, and uh, what is essentially the fate of the human. Human species, because at the end of the day, uh, most sci-fi will have either a very optimistic or pessimistic approach to uh, our uh, inevitable um, demise or our inevitable uh, future. You know, uh, and the future looks kind of bleak for the human species, but that doesn't mean that uh, it's always our fault. Uh, sometimes uh, we just kind of go with the flow of what bigger corporations and powers that be can do and we you know we do what we can do and if we last 10,000 more years hey terrific if we only last another hundred 
Well, we tried. We tried. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good run. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to get, kind of talk about uh, comparing shows like the Orville and Star Trek and Star Wars. Uh, the optimistic future versus this pessimistic view like Mad Max. I mean, Mad Max is all about, you know, well, we're all out of resources. Welp, uh, we're all kind of killing each other for gasoline, guzzoline, as you will. And uh, I just wanted to kind of compare and contrast the difference between liberalism and conservatism. Uh, yes, to make a point. Um, because at the end of the day, I do believe there's a right way and a wrong way to launch our species into the future, and I don't believe it's by election denialism. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Let's just say that. Yep. But first, I just want to talk about our vacation. So, you know, um, I had a great time. It was good. Yeah, it was good. I mean, nothing happened. I mean, we just kind of ended up on the coast, and we just literally sat in there in there in november the it's rainy it was storming and uh it was just a lot of fun to kind of sip coffee and stare out at the beach we were right there on the beach it was kind of the point and yeah it was it was the anti-vacation vacation vacation. um the only thing that really traumatized me was having to get up so early to get the hell out of there that that wasn't cool, bro. <laughs> no, it was not. That was a rough but. go. But um, but that's why I kind of took the uh, extra week off is because I just ended up with this injury of my neck. I couldn't hold my own head up, you know. And uh, just like get a newborn baby. Yeah, like a baby bambino. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, that's the thing is uh, that's why we talk about uh, self-care so much and that taking the time. For yourself, you got to take the time for yourself and you have to advocate for your own best interests. And sometimes we live in a world that uh, just doesn't listen to that clarion call of progress. And that's what this kind of episode is about in a general sense. We'll try to avoid our own biases. We'll try to avoid our own uh, uh, predictions. Uh, You know, no, we'll talk. We'll talk real about it. But uh, I just don't want this to come off preachy like if we don't do this, this, and this, we're all doomed. I, I, not necessarily, but I do believe that progress is haltered by... Progress is always two steps forward, four steps back, two steps forward, <laughs> six steps back. Trumpism was a, a massive uh, socio-economic, socio-political cul-de-sac of actual progress. And do I believe that Democrats have it all figured out that they're there are saviors? Fuck no. No. But there's when you look at the two ideologies, uh just let's talk about the midterms. You know, um what what did you ascertain? Tell the folks what happened. Tell tell me what you feel went right and wrong and uh why did it break that way? Well it was predicted to be a red wave. Um mm-hmm. Partially because that's kind of the usual pattern in politics is that the the party in charge with the presidency, right? There's a backlash against them, and we're going to go the other way. It's a referendum other... on the party that's in power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So they were predicting this red wave, and it didn't happen. Yeah, it was uh, a mid-cycle spotting at best. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was a meme I posted the other right. day. Um, yeah, and um, what? Wh- how do you think that came about? Was that just self-fulfilling prophecy? It feels like somebody just puts it out in the ether. Everybody copies and pastes it, and then before long, it's it's the truth. Yeah, right. And it, and it never was vetted. There, no, it wasn't. It was just this is how it usually is. We're gonna 
put a name on it and make it fantastical and yeah it just didn't happen that way and i think the main reason is because the extremism in that side of the political realm absolutely well and you know just to straighten out our point of view is that we are not anti-conservative we are not anti-republicans um but when your policies aren't congruent to kindness humanity progress uh we kind of take issue with that and so it's not about hurting people that don't share our point of view it's that some people's point of view just hasn't been vetted they don't know well yeah and they weren't running on issues that are the what the majority of what the majority wants oh yeah they were all running on this like we're gonna end abortion across the country even though it's 70 plus percent popular yeah i mean they're even really red states had the vote on whether they even in kansas it uh codifying Roe versus Wade passed. Yeah, exactly. So all these candidates were running on that, and that just wasn't what people wanted. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and I've always tried to tell you guys that this is not a anti-conservative thing. We are not pro-Democrats per se. We just want best practices in our society, and um, and that's why I wanted to compare the ideologies of conservatism and liberalism a little bit so that people can understand... uh, which feature are we going to end up with? Are we going to end up with Mad Max and, and gasoline shortages and water shortages and living in the desert and uh, might makes right, the alphas uh, take all while the meek shall perish? Or are we going to end up in a society of uh, lovers and artisans and thinkers and uh, intellects who can uh, push our progress forward enough to embrace technology, but also more than that, to embrace spirituality in the sense that we're embracing our inner humanity if we deny ourselves humanity we're fucking doomed and so i just feel like with the model we have been given in our culture you have one of two choices you can embrace conservatism or you can embrace liberalism and while i get tired of the woke shit too and the cancel shit too i also get tired of the extremism on the on the right i mean you've got in governors running for governor like in uh, nevada this carrie lake gal what a, now she's a well-spoken lady because she's a tv personality she was yeah. an anchor uh but now she's fucking talking spewing out all this crazy shit about election hope uh, denialism and uh, all this uh, don't believe them they're corrupt wait a second maybe you're corrupt how the fuck yeah. why oh, don't I, you present evidence and maybe i'll believe you but they never come with the evidence i was gonna say that was one of the other extreme points that a lot of them were running on was this whole election denialism yeah well it felt like trumpism was uh you know basically rebuked in this election in the sense that uh all the candidates uh save uh jd vance out of ohio um the only things that broke their way was the stuff that happened in ohio with jd vance uh beating uh what's his face um Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan, yeah. Tim Ryan, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, then of course, Florida is its own animal. It's special down there uh, in the sense that there's a lot of conservative Latinos who um, just have aligned themselves with the party despite 
evidence that they actually give a shit about Latinos. I just, it's like, oh, we're conservative. You mean you come from a fascist dictatorship in Cuba and uh, the Republican Party reminds you of it and so it feels like home? Okay, fine. But how about you break with Latinos for once? Break with what best practices for regular working class people. Um, I just don't see any evidence that the Republican Party is for the blue jean and beer party, I don't see evidence. And that evidence isn't stemming from just what's said on, you know, the, the echo chambers on the left and right medias. But when you look at their policies, where, I mean, you know, to this day, Republicans to this day are still better trusted with the economy than conservatives, despite the fact that uh, Donald Trump last, the last four years raised our uh, debt by six or seven uh, trillion dollars. And so this idea that they're better suited uh, to handle the economy, I think, is a misnomer, especially when they're giving just tax breaks to the rich and, well, and they, an, they kowtow to corporatism and yeah. elitism. It's another case of paying attention to what they say versus what they do. Yeah. And people listen to them saying, oh, we're going to fix the economy. Never mind that. Yeah. Like you said, the mm. debt has gone up and all yeah. of the tax breaks for the rich, but they people just don't look at the actual facts of well, what's happened and and am i biased yes but i'm biased because of evidence of of you know there is empirical data to suggest that progressivism is more sustainable and is better suited to handle us into the future than conservatism and that's not to piss on anyone or to piss anyone off um, but i do feel like you start to see that even the right wing uh you know, pop culture zeitgeist out there in the media sphere um, is realizing that Trumpism is going extinct. It's slowly but surely dying out. And I think that's a good sign. Talk on that for a sec. Well, one thing I did want to mention when it comes to all these people being, you know, election deniers saying the elections are rigged, the elections are rigged. Yeah. And the hypocrisy of that is that the elections are rigged if the other party wins. Yeah, if they, they win, it's perfectly fine. They Everything never say a damn word. That's yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, so. imagine how that, ha that works out. Yeah. <laughs> and as far as Trumpism dying out, I think, except for the people on the extreme side, people are just getting tired of the hate and the, the hate rhetoric and, and the, the extremism. dysfunction and, uh, yeah, well, and it's just, I think that... Through the January 6th hearings, whether or not the left, or the right rather, whether or not Fox News and all those channels want to admit reality, objective reality or not, slowly but surely, their party has to wake up to some of the empirical evidence that, you know what, Trumpism is getting tiresome. People yeah. are getting tired of the hate. Yeah, absolutely. Tired of the dysfunction and tired of the ego. And basically, it's a movement of nothing. It's there's no there there. There's no meat yeah. on the on the bone. And so over time you start to realize that Trumpism and nothing is nothing more than, hey, do everything my way because I'm strong. And because I said so. And because I said so. And Just, let's all yeah. kiss this one man's ass. And they're starting mm -hmm. to realize that finally. I was wondering if whether or not uh, the Republican Party was going to break from Trumpism or not. I was half worried that, uh, you know, it was going to break towards Trumpism, and that would give yeah. him a really good uh, springboard into announcing whether or not he's going to run in 2024 Which or not. today is apparently supposed to be That's his, what they say. his announcement day. I haven't so gotten onto the news no. yet, but yeah. we'll find out later, yeah. Well, and the thing is, is uh, like I said, this is not about being anti-conservative, but I do believe 
that there's only one of two paths for democracy, and that is either make democracy stronger by believing in empirical data, by believing in facts and truth. But more than that, uh, we have to create a society that uh, respects one another and that we lean into our humanity, not deny it. Do uh, you want to talk yeah, on that a little absolutely. bit? Absolutely. Well, yeah, I think so much of it is just that people are just so afraid of change. Yeah. When if they actually just stopped and stepped back, like the change they're scared of is people loving each other and people accepting each other and well, letting people be who they are. I think at the end of the day that conservatives feel left out of the party. Yeah. And I think there's a certain uh, uh, admission of, of because they're always martyring themselves. Poor me, poor conservatives. What do you mean, poor conservatives? You act angry and crazy for four years. We give you free reign to do whatever the fuck you want during the Trump years. And now that it's been, it's starting to be sort of, uh, people are waking up to the realities that it's all style over substance. I think people are realizing that we can't have a stronger democracy. Yes, we want to strengthen election security. Yes, we want to strengthen election integrity. But by sowing these seeds of doubt, all they're doing is trying to weaken democracy, not strengthen yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, 100%. You know? Yeah. And so I think people are just, even on the right, they're sick and tired of the anger and the frustration and the hate, and they always tend to martyr themselves when they don't get their way. It's like, you know, Lindsey Graham went on Fox News. I mean, he was like almost in tears talking about, oh, why don't black people want to be a Republican? Oh, gee, I wonder. Gee, maybe I if, you, if you guys did anything for black people, maybe perhaps if you didn't look so racist. I mean, shit, we just went through... Black Lives Matter and uh, police officers taking sides with corporations, taking sides with the re Republican movement. I mean, and they wonder why there's a distrust in African Americans yeah, for conservatism. Have, and I don't know. It's either a short memories, wholesale lack of, of self-reflection mm -hmm. or it's just or it's lies. They right. Know. I mean, some of them. I think it's some both. Of them, I think it's both. I think some yeah. of them know exactly what they're doing, and they're trying to sow all these seeds of hate and distrust on purpose. Oh, a lot yeah. of them, and some of them just mm. honestly don't see the the hypocrisy. They're just yeah, they're just so, so in the it. bubble that they, mm -hmm. I don't think they know how to reflect. And that's kind of the problem I have with conservatism is that liberals are too weak and reflect too often. While conservatives never reflect, and um, they tend to genuflect, but they don't reflect in the sense that I had to put that word in. It's the <laughs> word I learned the other word. day. Yeah. Word of the day. But but they genuflect, and they and they and they always you know are making up excuses rather than hey maybe people are sick and fucking tired of all the rhetoric and empty promises without any substance to back it up. Yeah, yeah, and even when they've been with the this recent election you know they're talking even fox news and all these conservative places are talking about how trumpism was being denied but there still isn't that extra step back to actually reflect on why yeah well yeah to some it, degree but well, not and, and it seemed to really me deep. like the lesson they learned is that 
Trumpism, it's more, it's like instead of reflecting emotionally, they reflect on it uh, strategically. They see that Trumpism is dying out in terms of voting popularity. But not the reason. So they want to remove him from the scene, not because he's corrupt, not because he's a piece of shit, not because his movement is a manufactured movement of anger and disgust. But just because it lost them votes. But just because it lost them votes, right? It's like, maybe if you guys could reflect on why... Because, I mean, they talk about being the the party of family values. They talk about being the the party of personal responsibility. And uh, I just don't think they understand the hypocrisy when it comes to Trumpism, uh, raising the debt ceiling, and doing more authoritarian things. That is not freedom. That is the opposite of freedom. And... uh, I think people are starting to wake up to that brand of conservatism is not sustainable in the future. Yeah. And it might, well, you know, and the thing is, is I just, I refuse to believe that conservatives are angry or hateful or spiteful people. And yet I know they're, they're out there, but I think that's because they're constantly being given that red meat. They're constantly being fed out, outrage and lies and uh, extremist uh, points of view to the fact that they can't wake up and understand any reality where liberals and conservatives could coexist i know and you know if we could just take away mm-hmm. both sides as far as like media goes take away msnbc take away the fox take away just give straight facts and people would agree a lot more than they do now if they well, were just actually fed what's actually happening. And but then that kind of takes away the freedom of those institutions existing. Mm-hmm. And so that goes against yeah. our progressive values as well, because we yeah. believe that everybody has a right to a voice. Exactly. But yeah, but that's why I t- try to tell people on a lot of episodes of you can't teach common sense. You can't teach people who are unwilling to learn. And so we're living in a society where I think a lot of times these movements take hold. And uh, it's not until January 6th happens where they start going, oh, gee, maybe Trump doesn't really know love us after all. Maybe he's just doing it for himself. What do you think? They don't realize yeah. it until it's over. And then they're like, oh, gosh, why am I serving six years in prison? Well, because right. you just started tried to overthrow the government, dude. I know. And, and yet two years later, they expected a red wave. Yeah. Think about the lacking in conscience and the lacking of reflection and the bold lunacy that, oh, our party, they, they gave no new policies, they gave no new direction, they gave no new mm-hmm. leaders, nothing new has come from the Republican Party, and yet they expected a red tsunami. I know. Think about the bold <laughs> stupidity in making that assumption. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> and I found out the reason that happened is that one person on the right tweeted it and then that got retweeted so many times and pretty soon right it's a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah everybody just took it as fact and generally speaking what's really historic about this election is that you know because my mom said yesterday she's like you know i see democrats like like so proud of themselves but we underperformed. We underperformed. And I was like, no, we actually no, overperformed. We, we way over. Well, and the reason yeah. why she's upset is because we're probably going to end up losing the House. Yeah. Probably by a very thin margin. And But but yes, as a rule, though, I mean, but you the saw the shellacking that, that Obama got in 2010. Because yeah, the fact that it is a thin margin is a very big win. And what, it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. But. And I wanted to go into an article about that. So here, give me a second. 
So this article is from cbsnews.com. It says, what happened in the midterm elections breaking down 2022's election influencers? And then it says, before the midterm elections, the contest had been framed by the parties and voters alike as concerns about economic forces set against concerns about rights and democracy. Those forces remained through election day when our key groups of influencers really held sway. Here we unpack some of the influence from the article exclusive CBS News election voter poll, which was unveiled on election night. It says, what gave Republicans their narrow edge? And it says, pressured parents. It says, the Republican will... Now, the Republicans will probably win the national House vote, in part helped by these voters, albeit narrowly. These were parents who have experienced post-pandemic stress over their finances and their kids, uh, and they reflected the nation by voting narrowly Republican. Uh, their share of the electorate grew from our pre-election estimates of 13 up to 19 percent on Election Day, and they narrowly backed Republicans for the House. Uh, that larger size may reflect growing concerns about finances among the electorate, and more of them did report getting more pessimistic in the closing weeks. Yeah. However, Democrats did close the gap with them slightly over the fall, reflecting an overall tighter contest. Pressured parents were 47 to 40 for Republicans in October, and ended up 50 to 47 Republican by election day. Those who decided late though not too numerous, broke towards the Democrats. Yeah. They fell along general campaign themes. Those who reported growing concerns about finances broke towards the Republicans, while those reporting growing concerns about democracy or political violence broke towards Democrats. And then it says, uh, what kept Democrats competitive? Uh, the young and the restless. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These voters got up and went to the polls and did so in slightly higher proportion for Democrats than they were leaning in October. All this helped the Democrats keep things close as our pre-election models had uh, anticipated it could. Not all uh, had indicated they were they definitely would vote in the months prior to election, uh, leaving them as a key group to watch. They, this echoed the national exit polls, which use a wider definition set under uh, under 30 that includes those with children. So if you're under 30, regardless of whether you have mm -hmm. kids, yeah. uh, that likewise suggested younger voters did turn out in numbers approaching their 2018 proportions to help Democrats. And it says, how did abortion factor in? Restoring Roe voters. Restoring Roe voters. This group is women who prioritize abortion rights. They started as strongly Democratic in October and only increasing further, going from 81 Democrats Democratic to an overwhelming 90% in their final vote. This suggests Democrats messaging about which party to choose to express their concern and about what to prioritize was successful. For 9 in 10 of them, they reported this election was more about personal freedoms than it was about personal finances. So, despite most of them calling the ec economy bad, they voted on abortion and for Democrats anyway. Yeah. In fact, to the extent any reported changing views on the economy in recent weeks uh, became more pessimistic about the economy than became optimistic. Still, they voted for Democrats. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, because, you know, rights over your body are super important. The other stuff, I mean, it's also very important, but it comes later. Well, it's like I mean, that meme. It said, um, you know, uh, the price of food will go down over time, but your democracy 
If yeah. we lose footing on our democracy, uh, it, it will be lost forever. Yeah. We will never so get it true. back if we give our democracy to special interest groups, the elite, wealthy corporations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. um, that's kind of the thing I've learned is that conservatives, do, they do it for this sense of pride in themselves and personal responsibility. Little do they realize how much the Republican Party is tied to the wealthy elite donor class that basically yeah. is the reason why they vote everything the way they do is because they believe in greater fiscal freedom, but but they don't even care how that affects regular citizens. Yeah, exactly. You know? And it just reminded me of what Michael Moore said mm-hmm. a week ago. He said they're way underestimating how important having control over your body is to people. Yeah, they bodily autonomy. So underestimate. Well, and, and it's a slippery slope if you start, mm-hmm. stop, I mean, that's probably why Fa, uh, Dr. Oz lost a, a Fetterman is because they he he said something during the the um, the debates. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think of the word. <laughs> My brain on vacation. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, during the debates, he kind of basically said it was up to uh, uh, yeah, he literally your, your said, representative. Yeah. It's like, whoa, you just brought a third party into the... It should be your doctor and you and your significant other. He literally said, your doctor, you, and your representative. Yeah. What the fuck? It's like, whoa, you just just said that you're going to place yourself between you and your rights to an abortion. Yeah. Uh, And then it says, it goes on here, and uh, the impact of the political right. Trump true believers. These Republicans identify as part of the MAGA movement and voted unsurprisingly overwhelming for Republicans. They made up 18% of voters in our estimates, slightly lower than the 20% they were in our pre-election polling, offset to some extent by turnout from other groups. Some of these might have amounted to the relative difference between a lean GOP House majority and a larger one. Uh, but in terms of overall influence, they had a lot of impact on the party and thus uh, were worth watching, including uh, their influence on the candidates the party had selected during the year and the messaging they promoted. Some of the high-profile candidates who advanced in primaries did not ultimately fare well in a lot of races, including losing in uh, Pennsylvania and Michigan, suggesting that uh, may have turned off some more centrist voters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyways, the last part is just about who consisted of the polls. But I mean, I mean, that's really what it boils down to is, you know, people, you know, noticed that the Supreme Court, now that Trump packed the courts with conservatives, and now a year later, they promised they would never do certain things. And then they just kind of, oh, oh, you know, and then they went ahead and tried to get rid of Roe versus Wade. And, and guess what? People fucking noticed. Yep. Uh- they did. And at the end of the day, as obnoxious as liberals are sometimes, um, I don't know what's worse is, uh, you know, people that are overly woke and overly sensitive versus those who are underly so. It feels to me like what that is doing is it's trying to break people into two tribes, those who care about each other and those who don't. And uh, I refuse, though, to believe that Republicans don't have a heart. There's got to be some heart in there somewhere. Yeah, there is. But what is this? What do you think is um, fomenting all this anger and frustration other than, you know, the the outrage machine that continually makes people think about how liberals are destroying their democracy? I think that's the biggest thing. Your media is 24 hours a day yelling at you about how horrible things are and how it's all the liberals' fault. 
it just gets ingrained in people. And if they don't take a step back and actually look at what's around them and the people around them, it just takes over. And yeah. And just get this, just this rage that's just there all the time. Right. Exactly right. Well, and that's the thing nowadays, you know, um, polling data is starting to turn out to be kind of useless because yeah. uh, what I read was is that polling data is especially bad because they underrepresent millennials and Gen Zers. Exactly. And that's yeah. because uh, they're not usually very likely to answer a phone call that they don't recognize. Yeah. And that uh, way, I won't. Right, exactly. I mean, we're older and we still don't answer our phone. <laughs> <laughs> but but at the end of the day, what it boils down to is we can't trust our poll numbers anymore. Yeah, no, not at all. And that was very much highlighted this election because they were showing completely different things. And it started with the last presidential mm-hmm. election Yeah, really strongly, too. Well, and it just goes to show in politics and in life what short memories we have. I mean, January 6th just happened a couple of years ago. Trump left us horrible COVID response. Uh, 600,000 up to a million people had died and perished under his watch. Um, And while I don't blame him directly for that, his lackluster approach to uh, handling the situation, he was more concerned about re-election. And so he was trying to get everything opened up too soon. And they care more about the economy than they care about people. And I don't yeah. think that fared well for their movement. And so yeah. what it seems to boil down to nowadays is that the two parties are sort of known for certain attributes. And mm-hmm. so Republicans, for whatever reason, are still kind of holding the, the the majority when it comes to people's views on the economy, while the Democrats seem to have it more locked up in terms of humanity and protecting yeah. the, the poor and the innocent. Yeah. And when you actually look at the economy and the numbers and the money spent on things, it doesn't make sense, but it's just kind of been the talking point. Yeah. Well, I do think that conservatives, when it comes to an open economy, the reason why they get all the credit is because they support corporatism. And I think they trick a lot of their people into thinking that corporatism is good. I've heard people make arguments that how it's good. And I, I don't think it's all bad. But this idea that uh, there's a ruling class that is shaping our politics. This this job creator nonsense. Yeah. It's just their big talking point that people fall for. We've we've thoroughly disproven the top-down economic model. Reaganism does not work. We have to build from the middle out. And that's what Democrats are trying to do. And, 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 you know, but at the end of the day, what's funny to me is that even though Democrats are, you know, the ones that are trying to hold the the mo- the moral majority republicans seem to be forgiven for every misstep every mishandle and yet they're still trusted what that that is a branding thing it is republicans yeah. if democrats acted the way Demo- li- republicans do when it comes to their apathy towards certain things and their d- disdain towards certain people I, I i just don't think it would work for us Conversely, um, I I don't think all conservatives are evil. I don't think they're all radical. And I don't certainly don't think that they're all angry. But it does feel like it's the whole politics of grievance. Speak on that a little bit. Well, I think I remember they were mentioning on one of the shows recently that um, with this election, it showed a lot more like split ticket voting. Because people were paying attention to, like, wow, this guy's really extreme and really crazy. And they would, like, vote for a Democrat on one 
part, right, and then for right. a, a Republican on the other part, kind of like when the, the yeah extremism was just too much in some cases, and right? Or they just voted, you know, for Herschel Walker because they wanted to run the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, um, I don't think that Democrats are, you know, um, pure as the driven snow, as they say. Um, but there's, but you know. It's a big tent party, and there's a lot of uh, progressives and far left leaning people, and then there's more moderates and centrists, and that happens on the right as well. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, I mean, what it boils down to is it's the only hope we have for regular people, poor people, working class people, because we, you know, and that's the thing that a lot of conservatives don't realize. They think it's all for personal responsibility and it's for inner toughness. Little do they realize that they're selling all of our rights down the river by pandering and kowtowing to this corporate elite, yeah. the donor class. Exactly. And and they don't whole, see it. Yeah, and this whole personal toughness thing, it's just, it's so. <clears throat> I don't even know the word for it. It's just... It's so playing like, on oh. their emotional fears and their emotional manipulation into feeling, wanting to feel strong and stoic. Yeah, that's Stoicism. True. But not realizing that people working together and helping each other is a lot better for everyone. Well, yeah. I mean, if we took care of the middle class, that would benefit the wealthy as well as the poor. Yeah, absolutely. And our economic models would suggest that, you mm-hmm. know, if we just did something about it. Yeah. So that just kind of leads into one of the articles that you gave to me. It was from Scientific American, um, mm-hmm. and it's just called Humans Evolved to be Friendly. Cooperation made Homo sapiens the last human species standing. And it just talks about, I'm just going to do an overview. Yeah, of it, yeah. But it just, just talks paraphrase. about the fact that at one point there were like five humanoid species on the planet at the same time, right. including Neanderthals and Homo sapiens and a couple other ones. And Homo sapiens were the ones that evolved and won out because of cooperation, because of friendliness, because of helping each other out and forming groups and yeah, being when you cooperative. For, when you form allies, when you form tight bonds of kinship and friendship, uh, uh, loyalty goes a long way. And that's like proof. Like, I have conservative friends. I have two friends that were Trump supporters, Corey and Craig. Craig and I are still besties to this day, while Corey isn't. And you know why? You know what separates them? Is that uh, Craig stayed loyal to me, whereas Corey saw Mm -hmm. our political differences as a wedge that couldn't be um, forgiven, and therefore he uh, thinks that I'm stupid or something Mm -hmm. when I'm far from it. We just think differently. Yeah, Yeah, and it was just talking about um, one of the things they talked about was the fact that they would find archaeologically like shell earrings hundreds of of miles inland from a, a water source and it just mm-hmm. showed that people would be giving gifts to each other they were trading. And trading there was trading and, routes and it was yeah and it was that that made them evolve and stay relevant absolutely and that's the thing that i think a lot of people don't understand is that the right as they clamor for power as they clamor for relevance in their in our hold on there's a kitty situation hold on <laughs> Anyways, where was I? Uh, what I was tr- the point I was trying to make is that conservatism, uh, you know, they do all these fascistic, autocratic things. They believe in toughness and they believe in strength and, and independence, and they they kind of fight for all these things. And yet they give they hand t- tax breaks for the wealthy that helps no one but the rich. Why would you give money to someone who already has too much? 
Yeah. That doesn't make any fucking sense. And yet they convince their people that this is the way to go. Well, and part of it, I think, is because the way they word it on their shows is tax breaks. Yeah. They don't say the for, dot, the dot, dot, for the rich and it doesn't help you. <laughs> right. They just say tax breaks. Well, and God damn, how uh, uneducated do you have to be to not, you know, do your research and find out the rest? I yeah, mean, it's not I that know. fucking hard. And yet, and that's the problem with political apathy is that at the end of the day, it's so easy to deceive people who aren't engaged in knowing what's going on and that's why we're trying to be yeah. here for you guys because at the end of the day i know a lot of people just go no thanks i'm not sticking my hand <laughs> in that sewage and so we'll we'll do we'll, we'll do, do the, the dirty work we'll do the dirty work for you yeah yeah but i just thought it was just so interesting that this article literally is saying that humans evolved because they were cooperative and helpful and friendly yeah and not this independent i'm standing alone well, i'm not helping anyone whatever well it's the fate of humanity literally was because of that well science dictates that the reason why we made it while other other species perished was uh because of because we're not the strongest Mm -hmm. we're not the most uh you know tough but what we had was the perfect amount of traits of adaptability we were small enough to forage because if, if you were a gigantopithecus and you were trying to exist in those days, you'd have to find a whole lot of fucking berries and nuts during the winter in snow country to survive. Imagine if your daily intake had to be 6,000 calories. I mean, that'd be like, who do you think would live out there right now? Lou Ferrigno or one of these small little army rangers that weighs like a buck oh nine, you know? <laughs> That's why rangers aren't big people because they can they can forage they can exist. You have some big old motherfucker out there in the forest, uh, and he's got a fucking has a threshold of three thousand plus calories to have to forage for. Uh, you're going to die out as a species real quick. And so, what we find in science is that those who tend to do the best are those with who are the most adaptable. And yeah. the thing I have a problem with. With conservatism is they claim that they're the superior model for our society and yet they're highly unadaptable yeah you know absolutely. and yep. so i and and people might be asking well how does this all tie into star trek and star wars and the orville um i want in your words what what do you think i meant when i said hey i want to tie this into the orville yeah well All three of those series, they all rely on humanity coming together for a common good and a common cause. That's right. And evolving into a society where everyone is taken care of. Yeah, and I I really wanted to just use this as an opportunity to gush about the Orville for a second. Right, I know. It's so good. It's so well done. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm okay with Star Trek trying something new. I think, you know, they wanted to hit the ground running with Discovery. They wanted to surprise and amaze us with how complex and layered and sophisticated it could be. But I think they left a lot of people just sort of at the starting gate. They're like, did they leave? Mm -hmm. Oh, I was supposed to be on that ship. What happened? (laughs) You know, and I think a lot of people just misunderstood how bold that vision was for Discovery. While I'm learning to appreciate it a little bit now in retrospect, um, I think what it lost is some of the traditional values that star trek espouse Mm -hmm. and right here i have an article that i want to go into about that (laughs) okay so this article is uh on thinkfives.com the article is called the top five star trek life lessons for teachers 
Oh, which well, means yeah. you know they're 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 pandering directly mm-hmm. to educators yeah. here. Uh, it says space, the final frontier. These are the voyages. Blah blah blah. If you're a fan of science fiction or have uh, been pl- paying attention to American culture over the last five decades, you can complete that sentence. Whether it's Star Wars or Star Trek, our fascination with space entertains us and challenges us. As for Star Trek, its mission is derived from its very name. It's not about war. It's not about Trek. Uh, it's about Trek. An unex. <laughs> an exploration of the unknown, yeah. right? And since airing in 1966, the media franchise created by Gene Roddenberry has become a worldwide pop culture phenomenon. Uh, Think Fives asked our Trekkie colleagues if there are life lessons for teachers that can be derived from Star Trek. Their answer was predictably, it's only wow. logical. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes into trust logic. In many episodes, Mr. Spock would turn to Dr. McCoy and say, it's only logical, Doctor. The tension between logic and emotion is one of the driving themes of Star Trek. Mr. Spock himself epitomizes the tension as he is half Vulcan and half human. Spock speaks for the importance of logic, and even his ultimate sacrifice in The Wrath of Khan is summed up in the ultimate logical line, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or, or the, the one. one. <laughs> we added that because we're nerds. <clears throat> the importance of logic foreshadows the coming of the computer revolution and how today logic underlies the basis of all algorithms and robotics we create. Later Star Trek series more deeply explore the challenge of robots and humans interacting in the same world. What does that mean for teachers? Developing logical thinking. Problem solving and critical analysis in students is so important. It is also why coding class, even for those not interested in programming, like me, <laughs> is a great life lesson. Uh, the wisdom of Star Trek. Logic is the beginning of the, of the wisdom, not the end. Uh, insults are effectively only where emotion is present. So mm-hmm. that's giving in to our, emo- our emotional yeah. centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, insufficient facts always invite danger. Yeah. Uh, polling. Uh, In critical movements, men sometimes see exactly what they wish to see. Yeah. Okay. Computers computers make excellent and efficient servants, but I have no wish to serve under them. And and then it says, embrace humanity. So that was the first one. That was the logic. Mm -hmm. That was what could could be derived out of logical reason. Uh, Embrace humanity. While Mr. Spock represents the uh, indisputably... Putability of logic. <laughs> Captain Kirk, Picard, Janeway, and others are the leaders who embrace their humanity. They balance logic and emotion, their personal needs versus the needs of the crew. While humans are imperfect, uh, through their mission, they learn to embrace the best of it while c- constantly trying to learn from others and improve their shortcomings. For teachers, it is so important for our students to embrace their talents and accept their mistakes. Students, by definition, are unfinished products, and teachers must appreciate their incompleteness. So, under humanity, what is the wisdom of Star Trek? Uh, Intuition. However illogical, Mr. Spock is recognized as a command prerogative. Uh, Compassion. That's one of the things no machine ever had. Maybe it's the one thing that keeps men ahead of them. Yeah. Uh, Dr. McCoy. Said that uh, we prefer to help ourselves. We make mistakes, but we're human, and maybe that's the word that best explains us. Captain Kirk, improve a mechanical device, and you may double productivity. But improve a man, you gain a thousandfold. 
uh, Khan uh, Soon Ying Singh said mm-hmm. that. Doctor Singh said that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes a feeling is all we humans have to go on. James Kirk, a taste of Armageddon episode, um, and then it, and so basically it goes without reason. But um, I think the reason why conservatism, while it claims to be the the diehard pragmatists, the diehard reasonal rational ones, when it comes to socioeconomics then you add this religion and superstition in there and uh, it starts to become somewhat illogical yeah and so how can you be both the arbiters of logic and reason while also being the arbiters of religion and spirituality i don't know they claim to hold the moral majority when it comes to the life of of an infant but then uh it doesn't seem to have the follow-through to understand the precept that we should be taking care of each other even in adulthood yeah it it takes the humanity out of it absolutely and that's why i think people need to challenge their own party challenge their own views and uh, understand a greater sense of we're not doing this for party dominance we're doing this to better the world we can either turn into star trek and the the orville or we can turn into essentially mad max beyond thunderdome and uh Mm -hmm. there's a limited amount of resources yeah you know, and then it says, "Obey the prime directive." Every Trekkie knows the prime directive is not just a set of rules; it's a philosophy, exploration, and at the very heart of Star Trek. History has endlessly proven that whenever one powerful group interferes with a less developed civilization, no matter how well intentioned that interference may be, the results are invariably disastrous. <clears throat> uh, the Star Trek prime directive: a prohibition of interference with other cultures and civilizations is the cornerstone of Starfleet philosophy. Uh, and then the wisdom of Star Trek would say, a star, a star captain's most solemn oath is that he will never, he, that he will give his life, even his entire crew, rather than violate the prime directive. Kirk said that. <clears throat> when the evil uh, must be destroyed, that is the prime directive, and you are the evil. Uh, there are there's a reason why it's Starfleet's general order number one, Harry Kim. Uh, a, rational, a rationale to break the directive that refuses... Excuse me. I'm so reading so bad. <laughs> vacation, man. Right, I, <laughs> I got vacation brain. <laughs> a rationale to break the directive that refers to a living, growing culture. Do you think this is... this? think this one is Kirk to Spock. A species that enslaves other beings is hardly superior mentally or otherwise james t kirk Mm -hmm. and so you know that you know the bottom line is 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 that at the end of the day you know that's what the orville was trying to teach with that one episode is that that girl uh was given an insight into a culture that was far superior to them and then um she was invited aboard the orville in the next to last episode and then she couldn't really understand how to live without the barter system without monetary rewards. We work in pursuit of money, and she was basically representing our culture in the sense that 100%, we're pr- yeah. we're primitive, but but we're still evolving. And uh, the reason why we don't interfere is because imagine you know she tried. She said she didn't fit in. She wanted to leave and go back home. They said okay. They dropped her off. She tried to steal a tricorder. Well. The Orville's version of his tricorder. And she said, no, we can't have you do that because the lesson learned is that just because you have the technological know-how, you have to evolve socially to warrant the responsibility to handle handle that 
that yeah. response that burden of, yeah. of high technologies and the, the right. lesson that she showed mm-hmm. her was a, a civilization that they had kind of accidentally interfered with new technology to right. and because that society wasn't ready for that technology which is what would happen now the rich and the corporations take over right. and exploit it and then it doesn't help anybody it doesn't serve humanity any longer serves. because there's always someone who's going to usurp so, that power yeah. and use it for their own personal gain and until you evolve to the point where that's not going to happen it, then then introducing no all these great technologies is only as good as helping one side yeah curry favor and dominance over another party or person yeah absolutely and so that was kind of the the lesson they said is there was a nuclear war five years later they gave them this technology by accident they said fine and that is what caused the prime directive in the orville to happen is that this culture destroyed itself with the technologies that that was given to them because they weren't socially evolved enough to handle that technology yeah and And it's such a a great lesson yeah it was such a, a lesson on what's happening today if, well if, because the thing is is it doesn't matter whether or not we're evolved enough it's whether or not our entire is. society yeah. is evolved enough i yeah. mean they've been slowly but surely introducing us to space aliens for the last 70 years um people often think is that because we're going to find something out and uh, they're trying to soften the blow because at the end of the day what it boils down to is if people if they think people are going to stop going to work and going to the jobs our entire economy is structured on the precept that we have to go to work if we know space aliens exist is that going to disrupt our way of life to a point where all our systems yeah. collapse mm-hmm. we're not yet ready to handle that information yeah absolutely <laughs> so well and these alien cultures could have their own version of the prime directive and mm-hmm. they know the we know they're there, but they haven't directly introduced themselves because they know that's, we're not ready for it. That's exactly what happened in uh, Star Trek First Contact. Mm-hmm. Is that what happened was Zephram Cochran uh, invented, you know, warp technology, and uh, there was a flying a flyby by Vulcans who went, "Oh, they have warp technologies," and that rendered them worthy of introduction into yeah. a greater under yeah. greater world of Federation technologies and support exactly we're and just not worthy yet we're just not worthy yet yeah we're we're ants that bite <laughs> they're, off the heads of other an, ants <laughs> they're keeping an eye on us but we're not there yet well and that may very well be if, yeah, if we're being possible. visited by space aliens they see us as you know we're the no we're offense the no offense to <laughs> alabama but we're the alabama trailer park of the universe and they're like mm, no yeah and that could be why we have certain video evidence of them like there's a pointing a, a laser at our you know nuclear warheads and such we were launching a rocket and there's a video capturing a ufo shooting some beam at it were they you know rendering our nuclear warhead inert hard to say yeah. or was the whole thing just one big hoax i don't know but the point is is that we aren't ready yet for greater mm-hmm. technologies and that's what's yeah. so scary about going off into the future is that we have to learn the growing pains of 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 living before we are worthy of a greater destiny and and so that's why i feel like without being heavy-handed we have to reject the hatred and divisiveness on the right it's not because i think they're bad people but they're 
looking backwards towards traditional values. And I, re- I can appreciate traditional values. But while doing so, they're also Trojan horsing a bunch of other values that aren't traditional and aren't on the up and up. Yeah, 100%. You know, while the right means well, uh, looking backwards, how are we supposed to forge a new future if we're right. only looking backwards? Yeah. And then it says, uh, embrace diversity. Star Trek broke barriers with each successive series, and the original series touched upon many of the most important topics of the 60s, uh, but wrapped in science fiction in a way that avoided preaching. Uh, the initial cast had a black woman, a Russian, a co- uh, during the Cold War, an Asian man, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Uh, and then it show- talks about Uhura ki- kissing Captain uh, yeah. Kirk, was- one mm-hmm. of the first online interracial kisses. And then it, I'll just, let me just kind of cut down to the bottom here. The wisdom of Star Trek, the prejudices people feel about each other disappear when they get to know each other. James yeah. T. Kirk. Leave bigotry in your quarters. There's no room for it on the bridge. James C. Kirk, Balance of Terror. The glory of creation is in its inf- infinite diversity and the way our differences combine to create meaning and beauty. Mr. Mm-hmm. Spock. Star Trek is about acceptance, and the strength of the Starship Enterprise is that it embraces diversity in all its forms. George Takei. Mm-hmm. Star Trek was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but take a special delight in differences, in ideas and differences in life forms. Gene Roddenberry. Yes. So there you have it. Yes. (laughs) Ba-boom. And then boldly go where no one has gone before. And then it does the setup, and then it says the wisdom of Star Trek. They used to say that if man was meant to fly, he'd have wings, but he did fly. He discovered he had to. James T. Kirk. Mm -hmm. It's not safe out here. It's wondrous, with treasures to satiate desires both subtle and gross, but it's not for the timid. And that was from... uh, Q, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know the greatest danger facing us is ourselves, an irrational fear of the unknown. There is no such thing as the unknown, only things temporarily hidden, temporarily not understood. James T. Kirk. Our species can only survive if we have obstacles to overcome. You remove those obstacles. Without them to strengthen us, we will weaken and die. And I think that's what conservative is trying to do, but at the great peril of humanity. Yeah. Like, oh, we need to make your life hard so you can learn some lessons. Well, like, no. We, we have plenty of lessons without you, fucker, yeah, making it you worse. You need the, the <laughs> lesson of you know struggling to eat and pay your you you know your basic needs yeah well they say we we got that lesson yeah they say a a, a soft society creates soft people a tough society creates tough people but at what Mm -hmm. why can't we balance it to where there's enough adversity to teach character but not so much that it teaches being pampered yeah you know what i mean and i think there's enough hardship to go around where we don't need to manufacture more exactly that's exactly it okay and then this one says uh to all mankind may we never find space so vast planet so cold heart and mind so empty that we cannot fill them with love and warmth and that's noel noel to kirk dagger of the mind so that's the whole article there but at the end of the day what that boils down to is that whether it be the Orville or Star Trek, is that we're trying to embrace diversity 
and embrace our differences. At the end of the day, I don't hate you because you're conservative. I hate you because you're crazy. Because you make shit up, because you lie, Mm -hmm. and because you gaslight our population into voting for you uh, at the peril of doing good things for the working class. Yeah. And, like, the lesson of that one Orville episode is cultures and societies have to evolve into these ideas. Like, it's starting now. Like, as older generations die off, it sounds horrible. Yeah. But they take their racist... Old exclusionary ways, ways with right. them and the younger generations come up do better and do better and, do better, and build and upon better, and yeah and every generation is building upon what the last gef- generation gave us yeah. and so that's the thing is that we should look not at the old-fashioned ways of being wrong or evil it's just that when your entire movement is about going backwards to restore mm-hmm. things to the previous glory that was never there you're telling people make america great again well when was it great when during slavery is that what you're trying to say or before penicillin when everybody was dying what do you Mm -hmm. what do you exactly before women had rights it's like they're trying to tell us that the 50s rocked and we want to go back to the 50s while sounds great but um not at the peril of freedom for regular people what we're all supposed to just swallow the fucking all the fascistic uh, tyranny and liege of corporate America. Yeah. And, and because we don't know what's good for ourselves. Yeah. And again, it's, it's generational. It's these older people that want to go back mm. to when they can control women, when they could control minorities, when they could control poor people. Right. And it's just a way of trying to hang on to control of people. And again, it'll, it'll die off. It'll, you know, there's still hangers on, obviously that continue those ideas, but I think they right. get less and less. As generations continue. And I'm not trying to say that liberalism is perfect, uh, that liberalism is the way, but the Orville, to me, is trying to show you guys, America, that when we use humanity as a basis of our very existence, instead of money, instead of other things... That we all become better. We have to evolve out of the barter system and into a system that is better than that. But we'll mm-hmm. never get there unless we all choose to get there together. Yeah. Because that's the thing is that we always have progress and then we're always progress is thwarted by some movement, whether it be Trumpism or whether it be some kind of totalitarianism or whether it just be corporate oligarchies trying to hold us in their stead in their image at the end of the day i mean human beings should you know they thrive the best when they're free they thrive the best when we have opportunities we thrive when we grow the middle class because it helps the rich and the poor alike Mm -hmm. top-down economics only helps the rich yeah because you're waiting around for it to rain. They talk about personal freedom and personal responsibility, and yet we're all supposed to wait around for our ship to come in, for the wealthy to trickle down their wealth mm-hmm. upon us. Well, how in the fuck does that hold yeah. to their own values of personal responsibility? I don't get it. It, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm sorry, you know. I mean, well, I'm just yeah, saying, and it's you the know. Corporations <clears throat> making people believe that it's their personal responsibility to go to these jobs and work themselves to death and. It's just, it's just so, the it's, thinking of well, it is Well, and that's the so problem weird. is that they, they Trojan horse these ideals like personal responsibility, personal bravery and courage, et cetera, et cetera. All these good values that are good on their, 
on face value, but then they Trojan horse all this stuff like, therefore, you should go get a low-paying job at Target yeah. or Walmart and just live there forever and wait for your marching orders. What? Yeah. How is that emboldening yourself as a person? Yeah. If you want to do better than that, shouldn't you break the chains of corporatism? Mm-hmm. But you they know? don't want you to know that or realize that. So yeah, yeah and, that's... and that's the problem with that movement on the right. I'm not saying the left is so perfect, but we do, as a species, either have to embrace technology in the future and compassion and humanity or reject it outright. And I don't see the utility of rejecting it. I just don't. No, not at all. Feels to me like they want to be a part of the solutions, but because we reject their philosophies and their views, they don't they they're feeling attacked personally that we reject religion, that we mm-hmm. reject um the old ways, the old traditional ways of doing things. But we're not yeah. rejecting you, the people. No. We're rejecting it for best practices. Yeah. And if we don't get on the best practices train, we're going to get left behind with a bunch of people that have the right belief systems in terms of they want to be kind, they want to be have traditional values, but they don't understand how their own uh, belief systems are holding us back to a better future well, and they don't of humanity. Under- yeah, and they don't understand that we're saying that you yourself, if those, if religion is your belief, then you, you are, have the freedom free to keep to it. Live that way, That's but right. you're not free to push that on everyone That's else. All That's all we're saying, yeah, right? Exactly. exactly. And they don't. They can't put those two things. And I feel like they and- think we're all evolving into dystopia, and so they're always mm-hmm. crying about a dystopian future on the yeah. left, just because we embrace progress. But yeah. How are we supposed to progress if we don't embrace technology? What we're supposed to do is embrace technologies in such a way that it benefits all of humanity. So if you have a machine that cures cancer, but it's only given to the elite and the rich, well, then you haven't done it for the right reasons. So we're trying to get all the corporations and all these wealthy systems to participate in a culture that we all benefit. Yeah. Which is what would happen. But that's socialism. I know. That's socialism, babe. We can't do that. That's socialism. (laughs) No, we can't. But it goes back to that episode. Like, if you had the the machine that can make any type of food, any kind of food, unlimited amounts of food, if you gave it to a poor person, they would use it to help poor people and to help everybody that doesn't have food in the world. If you gave it to a rich person, which is what would end up happening, they would exploit it for use it financial gain. Whatever they They'd wanted for themselves. They'd create systems around it exactly. to build. And that's where why you, maybe everybody's taken care of, but there's always a ruling class that operates mm-hmm. under this auspice of, yeah. le- of, of being a ruler. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's basically why we've always had this sort of debate about what's a better society, a dictatorship or a democracy. It's starting to feel like the Republican Party wants to be a dictatorship because they want the ruling class because they think they're either superior by intelligence or they're superior by design through God, but whatever it may be, it seems like democracy is getting uh, irritating for the right in the sense that, I mean, you can tell from the way they talk about election denialism. They don't believe in actual representative government. They want to win all the time. They want to rig the system where they never have to worry about uh, those libs getting in the way of their their liege, yeah. their rightful place amongst the stars above us. But it seems to me like that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to rig the system where they never have to worry about a loss ever again. Yeah, but then they don't realize that 
when things become dictatorial, maybe going their way for the beginning part, but then shit's going to turn sideways only and it's ta- all going to go back on only them Only a matter too, of time where the arrow that. points to you. Yeah. yeah, and that's what happens when you become a more punitive or a more authoritarian society is that um, it may feel good in the moment, but I mean, look back at uh, Hitler. It was only a matter of time like, oh shit, you know, you just killed that family that was my neighbors. I love those guys. Oh, fuck. Yeah. It's only a matter of time where the collateral damage becomes too great. The moral mm-hmm. damage becomes so great. The burden becomes so great that it's no longer, uh, you know, as productive and as efficient as it once was considered. Yeah. And it's all fun and games until their daughter is pregnant and will right. die from that pregnancy. And the child will die also. Mm-hmm. And they don't have that choice. Well, and it seems like all they do anymore is fear monger over the cities. You know, Black Lives Matter was, uh, you know, nothing but rioters, nothing but looters, people just trying to buck the system who don't want to work. It's the poor yeah. people. It's the urban people. And what they're trying to do is because they understand that a majority of their voters are rural and a majority of Democrats voters are urban and so what what to do about it well let's vilify all the high crime let's vilify all the the urban people let's vilify them as being weak places that are only Mm -hmm. destined to crumble except they haven't done that yet no in fact we can point to evidence that uh, red states have just as high crime rates in their cities as blue states So it's just all of that Mm fear-mongering to get people to believe that they are the ones that occupy the high ground, the moral majority, if you will. But really, they're they're not evidence-based. It's all about a gut feeling. And at the end of the day, you start to show people that they're not better at the economy. They're not better at ruling. We always end up in higher debts and always end up with tax breaks for the rich. And who always suffers at the hands of Republicans after they've had their say for four or eight years it's the fucking regular working people they don't Mm -hmm. give a fucking shit about you even if you're conservative and so this idea that we have to uh, uh, somehow embolden the corporate the corporate we have to embolden and empower the rich why so they can make better machines to rule us i don't fucking see it what are people getting dumb uh yeah Oh, <laughs> that's a new one on me. No, okay. All right. So I want to pivot a little bit. Um, I want to talk about uh, uh, how this all ties into the future of the human species and what we can ascertain from uh, ideologies like Star Trek and Star Wars. I want to go into that now. Uh, so there's, this is going to be a two-parter, we've decided. Uh, that's the first part. The second part is now, I have something to read at the end that kind of uh, shapes our understanding of where we'll be in 10,000 years from now. And there's three different models, and we'll go into that. Uh, but first, I want to kind of talk about and gush about uh, the Orville a little bit. Uh, yeah. I love Star Trek, as you guys know. I love Star Wars. I think Star Wars is neat in that it's um, it's a distant galaxy far far away it's futuristic but it's also lived in it's kind of almost Mm -hmm. dystopian if you will they've embraced the dystopianness and the reason for that is because in 1977 uh, george lucas didn't have a lot of money he needed the future to look slightly lived in uh which benefited his lack of budget (laughs) as he became better uh suited financially to do the sequels that's why started to look a little less lived in, although he did a really good job of keeping that world looking lived in 
and kind of broken down where we just took technology for granted. It's just a part of who we are. We live amongst uh, androids. We live amongst robots, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I wanted you to start that article about the Orville, if you would, please. Yeah, it was a Collider article, um, and it was titled, Why the Orville is More Than a Star Trek Homage. It says, The Orville is a lot of things. It's a wholesome and hopeful show with episodes that focus on different ethical problems. It has well-written and three-dimensional characters, but mostly it's almost a direct ripoff of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same conundrum, same life yeah, lessons. Absolutely. Same episodic same feel. Episodic structure. And, right. Yeah, and then it goes on to say, <clears throat> The key difference that makes the Orville truly stand out is that the characters aren't as prim and proper as they are in Trek. Right. For context, Star Trek or Starfleet has always been portrayed as if it's the Navy. The rank and hierarchy on the ships is nearly the same. Terms used on the Enterprise and other ships in the series are also almost one to one with nautical terminology. Mm-hmm. This is also true in the Orville, but the characters all speak more naturally. Right. And it does say that <clears throat> nearly every person in the cast of the Orville has some sort of background in comedy. Yeah. So it kind of has this. The it's comedic a, undertone. The way, yeah, the way mm-hmm. they put it is the electric chemistry mm-hmm. of a comedy troupe. Yeah. So and that, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. they they riff a little bit more, and it just they comes do. across yeah. as more like. And they're, and they're all just their personalities are more distinctive. And while I love Star Trek, it does feel more. Um, it's uh, more formal. It's it, right. It's this is a little less formal, mm-hmm. and therefore it's more conversational. And the people. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing is they're just as smart as Star Trek, but they have more personality. So, like yeah. the the African American character feels a little more like he's a player. Mm-hmm. He gets exactly. around. You know, he gets yeah. around the ship. It shows. <laughs> yeah, it, they it just shows a little more personality. Like they yeah, have more. Right. You you know a little bit more about them them as people y- yeah. and their lives. And it shows that humans can be flawed while stilling mm-hmm. having a vision for the a bold. An yeah. intellectual future, yeah. without being a stick in the mud. Because I think mm-hmm. there's this idea that we liberals we're so elite, we're so smart, we're all just trying to undo the past and undo. No, we should take, uh, uh, you know, uh, take. Uh, I'm forgetting a word here. <laughs> <laughs> we should take our marching orders from uh, learning from the past, being proud of the past, and having more personality. We don't want to become so woke that we lose our fucking sense of humor. And so I think there's what I love about the Orville is that it kind of talks of a liberal ideology. If you took liberalism to its furthest extent of humanity mm-hmm. and technology, um, but without losing what makes conservatism fun, which is um, a little bit of uh kick and dirt and mm-hmm. a little bit of uh, sass yeah. and a little bit of irreverence. And so yeah. at the end of the day, I think giving him, giving the characters more uh, sass and irreverence and, uh, you know, individuality uh, shows you that regular people could still achieve great Mm -hmm. things amongst the stars in a future without having to lose ourselves, to lose our humanity, because that humor is what identifies what makes us so great. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, and it just goes on to say, because the crew all have this type of chemistry, they all genuinely feel like friends. This is such an important part of television shows, because if the characters in the show don't like each other, it makes it harder to tune in from week to week. But these crewmen hang out together, they drink together, confide in each other, and actively want to be around each other in their spare time. Yeah. 
And that is absolutely what makes it because they have the scenes of the girls having their little wine and conversation and mm-hmm. Captain Mercer and Scott Grimes. I can't remember his character. Lieutenant Malloy. Malloy, yeah. They're just like, they call it a bromance in this article. <laughs> they're just, they've yeah. been friends forever and they've been there. They, I think they went to high school together. With each other yeah, and they're college So, yeah, yeah. But it, it, <clears throat> it makes it make more sense that they work so well as a crew because they genuinely like each other. Well, and I think that was each other that was expressed in Star Trek. But, it was, absolutely. You know, because I hear a lot of people like the critical jink- drinker talk about Star Trek sort of uh, being more formal and more heavy and more serious and therefore giving it more credibility. And the older stuff, where the stuff now he was trying to paint it as silly or jovial or trying to pander to weak or um, uh, immature sensibilities. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. I think it's trying to show that you can be both formal and have personality simultaneously. Yeah, it just shows the humanity a little bit more. Well, and I do agree with him in the sense that we should adhere to Star Trek lore, adhere to Star Trek... um, sensibilities and that it's futuristic and that it's intelligent mm-hmm. um but that doesn't mean that we all have to lose our personality in the process yeah, either exactly you know yeah and it's just this article mm. goes on to say that um there are many great character duos and friendships across next generation but no one on that show really speaks in the same way that people you would meet on average day in life do Mm-hmm. So it creates a degree of separation because we can sit down and watch Next Generation, but it's rare to fully identify with anyone. You can recognize, <clears throat> excuse me, a little frog in my throat. You can recognize qualities that are similar between viewers and brilliant characters like Riker, but not in the same way that viewers can identify directly identify with Malloy, who's Scott Dr- Grimes's character, because right, he's right. just a little more snarky, oh, a he's, little more. He's, he's a total comedian. Little, he's me. He's a comedian. Which he's is me. How if I was would, on the ship, <laughs> yeah, which is how you would be. You, yeah. You're serious when you need to be, but in the the quote unquote downtime, yeah, you're just you kind of yeah, you're a little more quippy. Well, you're a little more yeah, and it's almost like um, it's painting liberalism or it's painting the future as having humanity but being mm-hmm. maybe too woke or too serious for its own good mm-hmm. uh what this show is trying to say is is we can be uh idealists and we can care about humanity uh in a way where we embrace our differences in our personality rather than homogenize into this singular vision of homogeny we can mm-hmm. become our, our own individual selves yeah. and that should help alleviate some of the fears that i think the right has on this sort of what they call this liberal agenda, if you will, is that, no, Mm -hmm. we don't want a liberal agenda. We want to embrace technology and humanity in a way that embraces rationalism and reason and science, but we we don't want to get rid of our sense of humor in the process. Yeah. Yeah, And this next part says it really well. It says the natural speech patterns Mm. and genuine friendships on the Orville are, are always there to remind the audience that yes, these characters are all great in their field, but they're all so just human schmucks, just like us. Instead of people you need to aspire to be like, it's obtainable. Right. This isn't to say that either of these roads, these shows go down or better or worse than the other, but it definitely does help make sure that they aren't stepping on each other's toes. Yeah. They're, they're, they're each great in their own way. Absolutely. And, yes. And it just ends to say that perhaps the most wholesome of these Orville characters is that they all still respect each other. When they're working, they respect each other and refer to each other by rank. 
They don't let their existing relationships interfere with protecting each other when out on the field. They love each other, and they love each other enough to give and receive well-earned respect. Yeah, as I, as, as, uh, what's her, I, I, they're all their names escape me because they don't say their names That's enough. Right, yeah. But, um, the, the female captain. Kelly, Kelly Grayson, I believe. Yeah, Grayson. Yes, Grayson. Uh, Commander Grayson. Commander Grayson, first mm-hmm. officer. Uh, she did. She did a great thing where she said, "We're friends and colleagues," mm-hmm. and that's just it. Yeah, we should all see each other as friends and colleagues. Mm-hmm. Friendship first, colleagues second. Meaning that we appreciate and value each other for our differences and for our personality and for the love and the bond that we share. And as colleagues, we are each other's uh, helpers. We're a, we're a counselor. We're a guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all looking for the same outcome, which is best practices, to create a future where we can be ourselves and be down to earth, but also embrace what mm-hmm. makes us great, which is this these intellects. We have these intellects, and that's the thing that our culture today, on the, the problem is with all the, our intellectual properties is that we're all doing it for profit. We haven't evolved out of the need for monetary reward. Yeah. And so as a result, until we have some uh, dramatic shift, some uh, you know shift in the way we act as a culture, so long as money is the driving force, I don't know that we can ever evolve to that greater understanding of humanity. Mm-hmm. You know? And that leads to people having there's people that feel like they have to feel above other people and better than other people yeah and you see it we're all just in practice every day instead of we're all just people worthy of respect worthy of comfort right it's well and that's the difference between appealing to people's best instincts and appealing to people's worst fears is that you get exactly what we have today i'm not saying that liberals are so righteous and good and and, no. and conservatives are so wrong and evil. No, no, not at all. But there is a practice in that media sphere where all day, every day, Fox News and Newsmax are fear-mongering while uh, the left is trying to give us hope for the future. And mm-hmm. uh, I wish we could sort of get out of these entrenched camps because it's always like they're just looking for all these new reasons to show how different we are. And, and the left is like, yeah, we're different, but that's what we should embrace. I, I mean, when yeah. I was in culinary school, I had this dude, he thought I was from the South. I'm like, I'm not from the South. And he's like, I'm, I'm from California, dude. And he's like, oh, really? Because you kind of have an accent there. I'm like, well, I was, I did just get out of the army and I, mm-hmm. I, I was there. in the South. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I drink, I had a Southern twang a little bit, but I've always sort of been that down home guy where I didn't let my, uh, evolved sensibilities dictate my sense of humor. <laughs> 